unabashed. The most unpredictable becomes a headline. The most volatile outrageous behavior. Unsubstantiated narratives. A battle of personalities. Welcome to Grant Masha, a co-production of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace and the Hindustan Times. I'm your host, Milan Beshnev. We've come to the very last episode of season nine of our show. I want to thank all of our listeners and all of our guests for a terrific ninth season. As is our usual, we're going to take July and August off to recharge our batteries, but we'll be back in September with our 10th season of podcast, and we're very excited about the conversations we have planned for the fall. But before we sign off, we have one last great episode for you today. Some of you may recall way back in February 2020, the month before the world came to a standstill, we sat down with the journalist Pramit Bhattacharya to discuss the unfolding crisis in Indian economic data. Well, Pramit is back today to discuss a new report that he's just published with Carnegie titled India's Statistical System, Past, Present, Future. In my view, this is the single best resource on the trials and tribulations of India's data machinery. It contains the kind of straight-ahead reporting and analysis we've come to expect from Pramit, who writes the Truth, Lies, and Statistics column for Mint and the Simply Economics column for the Hindustan Times. Pramit was earlier the data editor at Mint, where he helped set up one of the country's first data journalism units, Plain Facts, in 2014. To talk more about his paper, I'm excited to welcome Pramit back to the podcast. Pramit, congrats on the report, and thank you for the taking the time. Thanks, Milan, for having me here. So your report starts off uh, channeling your inner Charles Dickens by, by saying, in some ways... This is the best of times for data users in India, but yet simultaneously, it's also the worst of times for India's data users. And maybe this is a good place as any to start. What makes today both the best and the worst of times for those who are consuming data in India? Yeah, so uh, in, in many ways, it is the best of times simply because of the availability of many data sets, many public data sets today. Uh, at the click of a button. Uh, this is largely because of the digitization sort of, of public data sets, which actually happened uh, over the more so over in from the mid 2000s onwards. And it is only now that we are getting uh, the fruits of the benefits of it. And many of these data sets are available now at a frequency which is higher uh, than what was available before. So to just give some examples, for instance, you have uh, monthly data on Monday arrivals, food prices, vehicle registration, power consumption, air travel, uh, ports data, rail freight movement, digital payments to some extent. You have quarterly data on uh, employment, unemployment from the PLFS, uh, all of which from, uh, are come from public sources. And then you have some private sources such as CMI, which give you monthly data on unemployment. And the second part of this is that since 2019, you're also able to get the raw data or the unit level data of some of these core national data sets, such as the annual survey of industries, which provides factory level data. And uh, even the NSS surveys, which is the main sort of uh, stream of official surveys uh, done by the government of India. And uh, we also see in recent years, especially over the past four or five years, uh, recognition in official circles that all of these data sets should be integrated. So you find a reflection of this even in the Statistics Ministry or MOSPI's uh, vision document for 2019-2024. And they talk of a data warehouse that brings all of these data sets together uh, in, a, in a, a national sort of integrated information portal. Uh, Niti Aayog last year set up 
uh, a national data analytics platform which brings some of these data sets together, though it is less ambitious than that of Mosby. And you also have a third sort of uh, intervention from the Ministry of IT, which also wants to build up a data warehouse. And there are some overlaps, some conflicts between these agencies, and which is which which is part of the problem of India's statistical architecture. But at, at least, you know, there is some, some recognition that the value of these data sets go up only when they start talking to each other. So on all of these counts, it is the, we can say that there, there are many areas to be hopeful about and there are many, many changes over the past 10, 10 15 years uh, that have made India's data ecosystem richer. At the same time, there are many areas of concern as well, and very troubling concern that a uh, lot of the people in the statistics community, as well as key data users, including in government, are quite worried about, and in fact, most of them think we are facing a statistical crisis today, as I've written. The reason for that is, despite this explosion of data sets uh, in terms of quantity, uh, we do not have a very good handle on quality yet. And even the recognition of the fact that these data sets need independent audits, they need reviews, you need some calibration, some exercise in bringing all of these data sets through common standards, classifications, and uh, quality control mechanisms. That is still lacking. And uh, the institutional mechanism that was started in the mid-2000s to sort of build this up over time, the National Statistical Commission, uh, that has not played the role that it was expected or envisioned to perform. And again, the reasons for that lie in the in, within the statistical system itself and uh, why it was not allowed to sort of uh, perform that role. Uh, and uh, the third element in recent years is that there's growing pressures from the political system, from the political class, uh, certainly in Delhi, but also at the state level. Uh, to censor data releases, to uh, delay certain data releases which are not, uh, which are pre presenting un unflattering or uncomfortable results. Uh, and because of all these factors, you find that uh, even basic data today on consumption, on inflation, even on population, the census, uh, we simply don't have, and we are the fifth largest economy of the world. So so that is the sort of duality uh, which I referred to in the report, why it is both, uh, in some ways, the best of times, but in many ways, troubling ways, uh, the worst of times as well. So, you know, the report is an exhaustive portrait at kind of India's apex statistical architecture. And early on in the report, you point out, and I just want to quote here, the statistical system of a country acts as its mirror. It provides citizens an impartial view of the state of their country's progress, and it enables policymakers and investors to make informed decisions. Now, there are probably many listeners out there whose eyes tend to kind of glaze over or, or they tend to nod asleep, you know, during discussions of numbers, economic data. It seems so esoteric and technical. But I wonder if you could just reflect kind of for the layperson or the average person on the street, Pramit, why is this subject matter so important to India at this current moment in time? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so the way I would think about it is that uh, the three three ways to look at it. One is uh, obviously the economic reason, uh, which is that at this sort of geopolitical moment where India has a chance to emerge as an alternative manufacturing base uh, for the world. And uh, 
we know what are the issues with the Chinese economic model where uh, there is growing sort of state control over the economy. There is growing uh, control over flows of information. Uh, their statistical system anyway has been questioned for a long time. Now they are even not even allowing consultants and you know third-party agencies to conduct uh, their operations in China. So all of this presents an opportunity for a democratic country like India to really set its house in order and to build a more welcoming environment for foreign investors. And one key part of that is to remove the information asymmetry that exists between, say, a connected player, uh, someone who already knows the system in and out, and a new player. And to build a bigger economy, a more competitive economy, and to take advantage of this geopolitical moment, it's it's a competitiveness issue, uh, in a sense, to build a more robust statistical system that everyone can trust. And for a long time, India's statistical system did that. and It was a sort of uh, key advantage. But it is not so today. And this is something even policymakers uh, in the system acknowledge, that this, this is a failing. So one key reason is economy to take advantage of the economic wins which currently favor India. Uh, we need uh, uh, rethinking on statistical issues. We need a better information ecosystem. The second reason is political, that it is important to restore, restore the credibility of official data set simply because you don't want to give bad act actors a chance to take advantage of this mistrust, distrust, whatever you call it, among not just investors, but also ordinary citizens. So you basically uh, take preemptive steps to counter any possible misinformation campaign and to protect your democracy from sort of unwanted attacks. Uh, so that is the second reason. The third reason is a policy reason that without good high quality databases, uh, and at a granular level, for even for state governments and local bodies, it is very difficult to do uh, any decent level of planning or analysis. Uh, and increasingly, even citizens are demanding that policymakers justify their actions or their, even their intentions with uh, numbers, and they're questioning those numbers. So uh, there is pressure from uh, the ground up as well. So because of these reasons, I think it is now is the right time to sort of pursue this agenda. So, so Pramit, you know, you and I have been discussing this report as you were working on it for the past year. So I was able to see kind of up close and personal just how much effort you put into this. But for our listeners who uh, didn't catch a glimpse behind the scenes, just tell us a little bit about, okay, your goal was to write a report looking at the past, present, future of India's apex statistical kind of ecosystem. How'd you go about gathering and collecting and analyzing information on this subject? Well, uh, to some extent, I had some prior information because, as you know, I've been reporting on this issue for quite uh, some years. And I aware, was aware of some of the key issues, key controversies, etc., and also the key people in the system uh, who could help me out uh, by pointing to certain documents, reports, etc., which exist either in the public domain or somewhere else. So I started out with that, the small group of people who I knew were uh, within the system, were well-wishers of the statistical system, uh, already had some ideas on how things could be changed, and uh, took my notes from them, basically, uh, to figure out what else do I need, what are the gaps in the knowledge, because uh, one key challenge was that there was no existing documentation of even the history of the statistical system. So unless, unlike 
say the central bank of india which is the reserve bank of india uh, which has a history cell and a well documented sort of uh, archival uh, sort of source there's no single sort of repository of information on this fiscal system in india and it, it the institutional architecture has also evolved with time uh, it is not been mosby all around so uh, so it was first to establish what is the sort of knowledge set that itself took time uh, and then sort of identifying the list of people both uh, regular users of data as well as data producers people who were actually in the system for many years spent their careers in the statistical system and could be approached to sort of uh, give interviews to me and many of these cases it also required follow ups sometimes cross checking what one person said with other uh, trying to explain inconsistencies etc uh and then there were uh, you know two uh, two of my research assistants samriddhi and vanika from the center for policy research who helped me sort of make sense of the pile of documents that was collected through various sources archival sources uh, rti which is right to information sort of requests uh and sort of material that others sent me after they requested them from various uh, various parts of the country and even outside the country uh to sort of so and finally putting all of this evidence together to see uh, at different periods of time what were the key factors what were the key constraints what were the solutions that were thought of but either could not be implemented or there was resistance from within and why uh, and then coming up with sort of a coherent priority so i want to ask you about the kind of storied legacy of the indian statistical system uh, under the leadership of the globally renowned statistician pc mahalanobis India's statistical system was really the envy of the world, right? It wasn't just the envy of the developing world or the envy of the developed world, but really the world period full stop. You know, again, for those who are kind of uninitiated, what was it that Mahalanobis did or created with the help of course of, of many others uh, that was so foundational for India but also by extension so influential for the world? Yes, yeah, so the first thing uh is that uh, malanobis was the statistical advisor to the first indian governments under pandit jawaharlal nehru who was a freedom fighter that became india's first prime minister from the congress party and uh, nehru before becoming prime minister uh, was the head of congress's planning committee uh, in 1938 and they had a number of subcommittees other committees uh, to try and frame a plan for india's economic development even before india got independence and in doing so they came across the many data gaps uh, which existed in the british period while india was under colonial rule and while the british had built up some level of database around say the census or foreign trade etc much of the uh, data required for planning for uh, much of the data on the domestic economy was lacking uh, there was not enough coordination and etc so one of the key objectives of the nehru government was to fill those data gaps so that they could begin planning on a more sound footing and that is why malanobis was approached he was made the statistical advisor to the indian cabinet in effect a one man statistical commission so any statistical proposal any data related proposal would virtually be vetted by him before it was accepted including the first post independence census plan for the census uh, for 1951 and later for 1961 uh so one is that uh, just as a he was a one man sort of statistical regulator uh, for the indian government 
the second thing was Malana was himself was a distinguished statistician and he had uh, he had made contributions to a theory of sampling uh, his he had done experiments around sampling pilot surveys etc at the indian statistical institute in kolkata and he brought his team over to set up the central statistical in, uh, unit first in uh, delhi and which later grew into the central statistical organization and one of the early steps that they took in 1950 was to set up this national sample survey organization which was basically a, a, a sort of a household survey uh, a multi-purpose survey that collected data at regular intervals on various aspects of uh, economic life from agriculture production to consumption to employment unemployment etc and this uh, data set uh, this uh, several rounds of surveys over the first few years provided a wealth of information about uh, India's socioeconomic characteristics to the planners. It inspired similar initiatives from other departments such as the Registrar General of India which set up the sample registration system uh, to get data on infant, infant mortality, maternal mortality, etc. And these initiatives were gradually replicated across the developing world because many of the developing world countries, post-colonial countries, face similar problems as India. Their administrative data sets were not co not complete, not robust enough. And Marlandovis himself played a key role in ensuring that other developing countries were able to do this uh, because he was the first uh, chairman of the subcommittee on sampling set up by the United Nations Statistical Commission way back in 1946. And uh, he basically, along with a few other distinguished physicians, wrote the global handbook on sampling and how different countries should be doing it, what are the key principles they, that they should follow. And this enabled other countries across the world to set up their own sampling organizations, survey organizations, and use those databases to fill the gaps in their statistical system. So he was hugely influential. And when he passed away in 1972, the United Nations Statistical Commission passed a resolution saying that it had lost his, uh, one of its key sort of mentors and Owen. Uh, and that, that was his sort of legacy on the global scale. Hey, Grant the Monster listeners. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Putting this show together each week is a labor of love, but it takes a lot of work to put out a great show every week. If you'd like to support the work we do at Grant the Masha, please visit ceip.org slash donate. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on your favorite podcasting platform, so you'll be the first to know when a new episode rolls out. So let me just kind of pick up the story there. I mean, he passed away in 1972, uh, and in your narrative, we start to see soon after the first signs of decline in India's statistical systems, uh, you know, after his death. But but you, you point out that, look, his death alone was not responsible. There were many factors that ushered in a period of institutional decay. And so I'm wondering, you know, just stepping back for a second, as you, as you kind of scan that period from, say, early 1970s to about the year 2000 or so, the turn of the century, what are some of the main factors that rendered the statistical system so badly weakened? Yes, so it was not just uh, because of uh, you know, the passing away of Malanubis. Of course, that was a factor in the sense that there was no easy replacement for him. There was no other statistical advisor to the Indian cabinet after that. Uh, and there was no institutionalized mechanism to replace, to, to play the role that Malanubis did, which the Rangarajan Commission eventually 
uh, in the 2000 said that the National Statistical Commission should do. But till then, there was no, no such body. Uh, beyond that, the other key factor was there was a lack of investments or continuation of investments in computational sort of facilities, which uh, Malalabis had stressed on in the early days, and which led to the establishment of a computer center in the Department of Statistics, which was supposed to be a sort of an analytics hub for the government. And that failed to play the that kind of a role because they did not invest enough in either uh, the technical resources or the human resources uh, to sort of set up that kind of a body and basically help different government departments uh, sort of computerize their data sets and then provide analytical tools to analyze those data sets. And that also meant that they were unable to help even state governments process very basic survey data. And uh, state capitals uh, also have this uh, units of uh, there's a statistical agency called Directorate of Economic Statistics, DES. Uh, so they wanted help from uh, the computer center and they did not get it. Uh, and this 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 proved to be a sort of uh, long-standing problem. The third thing was the waning sort of influence of technocrats. Uh, and this, uh, this reflected a shift in the sort of uh, policymaking apparatus in the post-Nehru uh, Indira Gandhi sort of era uh, when bureaucrats basically clawed back control that they had ceded earlier in the Nehru era to scientists, technocrats, people like Manan Abiz, Bhava, etc. Uh, oh, and once they did that, uh, automatically the role of the planning commission, the role of economists in policymaking, uh, that got reduced. And the rigor of policymaking also got reduced, which lowered the stake of the Indian state in statistics. And the final element was the lack of feedback loops. Because the state statistical systems were not adequately developed, uh, they, they were supposed to play, conduct their own surveys along with the NSS, and sort of it was supposed to be a check on the NSS. That did not happen. Uh, there was also, a, once the NSS moved out of the Indian Statistical Institute, the link between the world of statistical research, academic research, and official statistics sort of got ruptured. And that link was not renewed adequately over the next few decades. And because of that, innovations uh, suffered. So because of both lack of innovations and investments, it suffered a long period of decline. You know, I just want to circle back to just to the Rangarajan Commission, which you mentioned, you know, by the turn of the 20th century, you note in the report that uh, India's statistical crisis had become essentially too big to to be ignored, right? And so early 2000, the central government appointed a high-level commission led by the former RBI governor, C. Rangarajan, to basically do a wholesale review of the statistical system and suggest ways to improve or reform. And many of the reforms that the Rangarajan Commission put forward were implemented, uh, but many were not. Uh, and those that actions that were taken, um, you argue, weren't really commensurate to the scale of the crisis, right? So obviously 2020 is hindsight, but looking back, was this a major lost opportunity to push through meaningful reform? How do you see that uh, commission report? Was it an inflection point or could it have been one? Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, just after the report, it, it, it was put in cold storage for a few years. But then around 2005, the government decided to implement it. 
India also began negotiating with the World Bank for a modernization program uh, focused on state governments. So there was a whole host. Of the National Statistical Commission was set up. The Office of the Chief Statistician of India was set up. So there was a reform momentum then. And my sense is, had the National Statistical Commission and the Chief Statistician Office been better structured, A, and B, the two, the two main, these two main uh, authorities at the apex uh, could have got their act together instead of fighting uh, one another. Uh, maybe there would have been far more momentum because, see, there is always this resistance from the uh, general bureaucracy uh, to outside sort of uh, uh, supervision or control of any sort. And the statistical system could have played a sort of middle middle role where they're part of the government at the same time they accept this uh, supervision from outside experts so that they're also able to tell the outside world and the uh, general bureaucracy that, look, uh, you know, we need to do this to ensure the credibility of our data sets and you also have to open yourself up to outside scrutiny. That did not happen. And that opportunity for reform was lost. And post that, we have seen how the in ineffectiveness of NSE has actually uh, contributed to many of the controversies remaining unresolved uh, for long years. You know, as we get closer to the present day, there have been such a spate of controversies. We had the GDP controversy, which started in 2014, 2015, when the country's foremost kind of economic barometer underwent a major revision. The, re the results confused a lot of economists. We had a kerfuffle over uh, employment data, which the government refused to release. It was eventually leaked to the press. We had, as you document, controversy over consumption survey, which, again, was eventually junked by the government, presumably because it showed the economy's health in a poor light. We, we still have not had the 2021 census, right, uh, breaking, I think, an, an unbroken streak of a decadal census, I believe, since 1881. Um, so if you take all of these things together, don't these controversies imply that at least to some significant degree, economic policymakers today in India are flying blind? Yeah, absolutely. The very fact that a chief economic advisor who worked in the government for uh, so many years uh, came out with a paper just after he left uh, saying that the India's GDP numbers were overestimated by as much as possibly 2 to 2.5% over a uh, decade. Uh, whether you believe his calculations or not, the very fact that someone from in that position is saying this shows that uh, policymakers are unable to rely on the data that they're getting. And this is true of many other uh, policymakers whom I have spoken to uh, and who, of course, don't want to say this out loud, but they have grave doubts on the data that they have to use on a daily basis because there's nothing else. And... Uh, while much of this has grown in recent years, uh, we have seen this trend over at least the past decade, and which is why I, I uh, put this 2012 to 2022 period. Because when you also have this varied data sets uh, reflecting different parts of the economy, telling different things, you need someone, and that someone is the statistical office, to sort of reconcile and bring together all of this in a coherent manner and to tell the data users, including policymakers, that this is the uh, this is the final answer to 
how the economy is performing and this is why this indicator is showing this this trend and this is why another indicator is showing that trend we haven't seen any such intervention and even when the national statistical commission asked the cso to or the national accounts division to respond to public criticisms of the gdp numbers they simply uh, were not willing to do it uh, and they refused to even answer uh, satisfactorily to the national statistical commission forget about answering to the public till date they have not even published their detailed sources and methods which usually come after a few years of any new uh, base change exercise so minimum levels of transparency uh, are not being adhered to the kind of statistical communication that is needed to resolve these controversies are not happening the kind of uh, disclosures that are required to aid policy makers uh, to make sense of different data sets are not happening so policy makers are really uh, working in a big zone of uncertainty right now in india and that is that is really troubling and this is true both at the central level and at the state Pramit, I want to make sure that we save enough time to talk about the road ahead, because that is, of course, in some sense, the most important part of your report. Uh, you argue in your kind of recommendation section that um, a statistical reforms commission should be set up to address the roots of India's statistical crisis. And that crisis you've so eloquently uh, walked us through. Now, I think, you know, some people who hear uh, calls for, you know, another blue ribbon commission, you know, tend to kind of roll their eyes. Why do you think setting up a new commission is so critical? And I guess more importantly, what exactly should this commission set out to do? Yeah, that's a very good question. And see, even as a journalist, I roll my eyes whenever the government sets up a new committee. You know? So <laughs> we always feel that this is a delaying tactic. But in the case of the statistical system, uh, things are complex and, you know, there are different uh, agencies, different players with different interests. Uh, even within the statistical system, there are different opinions on what are the key data gaps, how they should be filled, what, what should be the role of different agencies in this. So just to arrive at a consensus, even on the problem, uh, I think we, we need a sort of uh, consensus building sort of platform. And so the first thing that the Statistical Reforms Commission would be doing would be that, which is why I suggested that uh, it should be headed by someone who is non-partisan and is perceived as such, because that's very important. Uh, the people in the central government, in the opposition, in state governments, uh, non-official data users, they should all be represented and they should all feel that this is something that we are doing in a non-partisan basis for the public interest, for the national interest. And we are thinking long term. This is not just about the next election cycle. Uh, because that's how that's how statistical investments are made. And that's how India made such investments in, in, in its early years. So uh, one is that. The second uh, part is that uh, over the past uh, two decades, uh, India uh, in its... Uh, various government departments, the state governments, each 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 sort of organization has been functioning in some sort of silo. Uh, they've all built their own dashboards, their own databases, often using different standards, different classifications, etc. Uh, and may, many of them have their own ad hoc departmental surveys, uh, which are often not used uh, or not used well. And so there is great deal of uh, uncertainty even about the kind of data sets that are being collected today. So we need somebody to sort of look into this thoroughly and to sort of come up with a plan to rationalize uh, public expenditure on statistics and to 
sort of ensure that whatever we are spending, we are getting good bang for the buck. And uh, the final part is that since in recent years, political pressures on the system have grown, and that is something uh, most people acknowledge, even policymakers acknowledge, even statisticians acknowledge it's a big problem for them. Because every time they prepare a report, they have to think uh, how they were going to convince their political bosses to release it on time. Uh, and if they don't release it on time, then they are criticized that, you know, you, you have given uh, this report is so much lag. So they, they are between the devil and the deep, deep sea. And to solve this problem, you need a certain uh, institution architecture as a legal backing for uh, autonomous statistical agencies, both at the state and the central level. And you can have that only once you have some agreement among the stakeholders, including the bureaucracy, uh, existing bureaucracy, the political class, etc., state and central governments on uh, how much autonomy, how much powers, uh, what are the kind of structures needed for this kind of an autonomous organization. You know, just quickly on the on the organizational structure, some of your informants you spoke to who are experts in this area suggested that India look to the office of the CAG or the Comptroller and Auditor General of India as a possible model for India's statistics regulator. Again, for those who don't kind of know the ins and outs, you know, what would this CAG-like model look like in this domain, which is kind of statistics and data? Yeah, so the attractiveness of the CAG model for them is basically, first of all, the CAG is accountable to the parliament. It is not accountable to the government of the day. So that is a way to delink uh, the statistical system for, from the current, uh, from the demands of the sort of current government or from the political pressures of the day uh, without uh, sort of making it an extra governmental body. So it is within the governmental system as such, but it is accountable to the parliament and to the people at large, uh, rather than uh, to the government of the day. And even its financing should be autonomous, as it is in the case of constitutional bodies like the CAG or the Election Commission, where uh, what they have in the budget is a charged item, which is not voted on. Uh, and so you ensure that uh, basically a certain amount is given to these bodies, uh, regardless of what happens uh, with uh, between the government and the opposition. So financial autonomy, autonomy even of appointments, which would be not just uh, from representatives of the government, but representatives of the opposition party should also have a say, uh, or maybe from the judiciary should have a say uh, in who gets appointed to top-level posts uh, in such bodies. Uh, so some of these elements of the CAG, and finally cons constitutional backing, so that, uh, you know, both, state and central governments can agree that, okay, we are ceding powers to this authority, and this is not a central government body. So CAG also has state-level offices, and it's it has become part of routine sort of government administration that even state government reports are audited by the uh, state CAG, central government reports are audited by the central CAG, and this the reports are placed on the floor of the assembly or the parliament, and these are debated, this come out to the public. There is a structured format in which... Uh, the documentation happens. So something similar, an institutionalized audit mechanism for statistics. So, Pramit, let me just end kind of where you end uh, the report, uh, where you say, and I just want to quote here, if there is political will to address uh, and just paraphrase the reforms needed to fix the statistical system, resources are unlikely to be a major constraint, end quote. 
And to some, I think that might sound somewhat surprising, given that governments typically rely on, you know, pretty large bureaucracies to carry out surveys, collect administrative data, and so on. So why are you, what gives you confidence, I guess I should say, that resources are not necessarily the binding constraint here? Yeah, so again, this comes from the respondents uh, I've spoken to. Uh, Many of them feel that the government is already spending a lot of money uh, in collecting data. It is just disorganized. It is just uh, spending on many low-quality surveys. And many of these surveys are uh, sort of commissioned, conducted uh, in a very ad hoc fashion by outside agencies uh, whose antecedents, of course, are not fully checked. And the uh, executive arm of the government, the sort of entrenched bureaucracy, has an incentive to sort of uh, do these kind of ad hoc surveys to come up with quick decisions. But in the long run, it does not help even them because the moment, uh, say, a joint secretary level officer gets transferred, uh, his or her replacement comes up and demands a new survey because she's unable to trust what her predecessor had uh, had commissioned. And uh, even for field agencies, uh, there is a problem because if their results are not uh, to the taste of the particular joint secretary who has commissioned it and who has signed on the tender, uh, then the next time there is a survey, uh, that agency may be debarred or saying that they have not provided quality data. So the political economy of data collection through these contractual agencies is such that you don't end up getting high quality uh, data that you can use for a uh, worthwhile period of time. And we don't even know the scale of wastage uh, of uh, public money on these kind of data sets. But most respondents have spoken to feel that this is quite substantial. And the savings that you would do uh, just by discontinuing these kind of mechanisms of collecting data could be used to build a more robust, high-quality uh, sort of survey ecosystem. And we already have the NSSF and NFHS, which despite problems that I have documented in the paper, still produce much more better quality data, uh, much more transparent data sets uh, than what we have in other arms of the government. My guest on the show this week is the journalist Pramit Bhattacharya. He is the author of a brand new Carnegie report entitled India's Statistical System, Past, Present, Future. Pramit, many congrats on the report. And you know what I will say is that this is a technical subject. There's a very long uh, history to this. It has lots of ins and outs. But um, uh, the reason I like this report so much is because it's so accessible to a layperson, even somebody who's coming at this uh, completely uninitiated with no prior knowledge can kind of pick up the thread and follow along the story, including what the next steps are. So so thank you for doing this. I, re- I think it's a real public service. And congratulations again. Thanks again for all your help and support. Grant Tabasha is a co-production of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace in the Hindustan Times. This podcast is an HT Smartcast original and is available on htsmartcast.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review. It helps others find the show more easily. For more information about the show and to find the writing we reference on this week's episode, visit our website, granthamasha.com. Production assistance comes from Nithya Lab. Tim Martin is our audio engineer, and Isabel Villegas is our executive producer. Thanks for listening, and see you next week. 